ladies and gentlemen, I am Jesse Mayer, your host of The Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak, a podcast designed to help you develop a biblical framework in which to understand what is happening in your world today. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Pastor Doug here. This week, our church is starting a new series called Essential. I'm very interested in this series, as I shared on Tuesday, because during the lockdowns for the pandemic, one out of every four people my age have considered ending their life. That's 25%. Mm, mm. It seems to me that when people are told they're not essential, they just end up believing their lives are meaningless and they lose hope. So how will our study of Ephesians change any of this, Pastor? Well, it, if you haven't heard Tuesdays, I just encourage you to go back and listen to it because in Ephesians chapter 1, what we see is Paul laying out God's ultimate plan for every human being. And at its core, God's plan is an affirmation of not only his love of us in his process of redeeming us, but that every human person has dignity. So God's will for every person is redemption. Second, I think studying Ephesians is critical because what's going on in today's world right now is the end result of a philosophy that has permeated every aspect of modern education. And what people don't realize is it's not just my opinion that this is the case, but many, many philosophers have said this over and over and over again. And that is the end result of the current philosophical uh, position that is being adopted and taught in universities is nihilism. And basically nihilism means a life with zero purpose. There's no reason to be alive. And that's nihilistic living. And when you look back through the history of philosophy over the last 4,000 years, you see the issue of nihilism coming up all the time. And so for people who take philosophy seriously, which every human being does, whether they know it or not, uh, they uh, uh, have to deal with this issue of meaning and purpose in life and where it comes from. So... How does a biblical worldview make any difference to people my age who are experiencing the highest level of anxiety and depression ever recorded? I mean, the joke about millennials and all of their craziness <laughs> is actually statistically proven at this point. We're, we're a little off. So, we're a little off. So tell me. Okay, how, you said that. I didn't. Yeah, so. I can because I am one. So is that, that's how it works, right? Well, I think when you strip it all down and in my conversations with people is they have no foundation for a belief that their life matters. And this is a really critical point to understand. You can tell a person they matter. You can tell them they are, they are great. You can tell them they should feel good about themselves. You can tell them they're winners, that they're important. But if it's not grounded in truth, if there's not a reality that is foundational to those statements, they will reject that. Their brain rejects it. And so that creates a spiritual division, an incongruence in their soul. And that is, I'm supposed to be great. I'm supposed to be awesome. I'm always a winner, but why am I so miserable? I'm the special snowflake. I got all the participation awards. Yeah. And, and it's, and I'm not saying that this is their fault. What I'm saying is that this philosophy has been fed to them and they have not been given the tools to see what it's done 
to them and is doing to them, to their relationships, to their sense of self-worth, to their sense of courage and confidence. And so a biblical worldview is grounded in a foundational truth of what human dignity is and where it comes from. Uh, the secular humanist view is that uh, uh, humanity ultimately doesn't have a purpose for being alive. When you take God out of the equation, uh, as Timothy Keller says, I defy you to give me a rational, not an emotional, but a rational basis for why cutting down a tree or cutting down a human being is different. You, you can't do it rationally. And so what's happening is millennials have been taught to just focus in the area of emotion so much that what they don't realize is that there's a huge part of them because they're human beings that is very rational and has their, their conclusions have to be based in a rational foundational truth. Otherwise they get, you know, that's why. You're adrift. We don't yeah. Have you're anchor. adrift. There's no anchor. Exactly. So, uh, what you believe about yourself is one of the most important things about yourself. We said that last Tuesday, and it drives the sense of who you are. It gives you the sense of who you are in life and what is the point and purpose of your life, even whether you're happy or not. That Your, your sense of happiness doesn't come when you do happy things or you think things that make you happy. What What is really critical is happiness comes from your inner belief in your soul of who you really are and what's the point and purpose of your life. So that's quite a different sense of what you hear in today's world of what's going to make you happy. And so uh, the secular worldview is that human beings, you know, uh, are basically blank slates and it's society or it's social structures that create your uh, human behavior. Uh, therefore, if something's going wrong in your life, it's really not your fault. It's the structure or the societal system that's the problem. And that's why you see so many young people religiously pursuing alternative social structures. Right. Because it's like, I mean, they are religiously doing it. They're zealots towards it because they believe deep down, I'll finally be affirmed. I'll finally have fulfillment if we can get society to be this way. Right. Does that make sense? So the biblical worldview that we studied in Ephesians was that human beings are loved by God, but this love is expressed in his plan to redeem them through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we find and experience God's affirmation and God's love in our lives when we accept the truth of who we are in his eyes and in faith respond to the redemptive act of Jesus Christ in our life. That is a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> no, but it's good. I think it's good to have those, that, that broad spectrum mm -hmm. of what we're actually dealing with. And that's with. why Ephesians is going to help us. Yeah. And it's, I, I think under us understanding what the battle is and where the, what the framework is, is important because a lot of these things you don't think about on a daily basis. That's I mean, correct. you might because you're, because you, <laughs> I'm but weird. The rest of us don't. <laughs> um, so something happened that kind of freaked me out about two months ago on the Salty Pastor. Yeah. Um, you spoke about this position that came out of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory mm -hmm. that came to America in 1933 and spread from Columbia University to all the universities. Yes. 
and then how it's evolved into critical race theory. Yes. We've, and we've mm-hmm. spoken numerous times on this podcast about this. It's yes. something you're very passionate about. And I'm not really into big news, but I heard that the president signed an executive order to ban any training that uses critical race theory as a framework. <laughs> are you are you a prophet? Did you see this coming in a vision? Where did this come from, Pastor? No, that kind of... I was like... Wow, that was weird for me too because I'm sitting talking about it. I'm talking about stuff that nobody's really aware of, nobody thinks about. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, CNN talks about it, Fox News talks about it, all of these news aggregators talk about it. And then, bam, the president signs an executive order about it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what's up with that? So that was kind of weird. You're on the cutting edge. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. Uh, no, I, I, I'm just simply using the gifts that God gave me to help people see what's really going on in our world and the methods of deception that the evil one uses to get people off track. You know, the reason why I think about these things and I'm passionate about these things is because I want people in uh, uh, not just my age, but uh, every age, uh, I want people to live full, happy lives. I, I want your generation to turn into the most confident, courageous generation uh, and the next generation behind you, you know, Gen Z. I want them to be confident and courageous. And I want everybody to to be a good human being and have a great, uh, a positive impact on the world. But what's happening is, you know, my generation, your generation, Gen Z is being manipulated with these frameworks to where they're in the name of justice, they're running out and they are committing incredibly unjust acts against other human beings. And they feel justified in doing that. And to me, I don't see them in as in, in as the enemy, but I see the mentality, I see the framework is how Satan has deceived people to go out and commit these horrible acts. He's manipulated us into these He's decisions. he's manipulated it. And so that's why I think about it, and that's why I'm concerned about it. So um, I think what's really happened here is what people don't realize is that people got off track because what's happening today in particularly uh, the response to COVID and how it has just dramatically increased anxiety, but more importantly, all of the racial tension and the racial rioting and all of the uh protests and all the looting and burning, all of these things that are going on are things that came from something that happened uh, almost probably 60 years ago. See, people don't realize that. And what, what happened is there was a guy by the name of Stokely Carmichael. And he, uh, in the 60s, some of these initial principles and philosophies were really seeded, but they came out of the critical social theory of the Frankfurt School that started being taught in the 40s. So what happens when all of those soldiers come back from World War II in 1945? Well, we all know the first thing they do is they get married and they have babies. So by 1945, these philosophies were had been distributed, right? 
because all the patriots, and I don't mean this in a derogatory rage, it just as a descriptive way, is that all the patriots, all the people who wanted to fight, you know, for America and so forth, they all went out and fought. But the communists and socialists and people into this critical social theory, Marxists, they they didn't want to go fight. Right. They wanted to teach their philosophy. So they didn't call it communism because obviously of the Cold War, nobody would fly for that. But what happened is these this generation then was raised in it. And that's when critical race theory really started was in the 60s. And there was a guy by the name of Stokely Carmichael, and he changed the entire meaning of racism. Uh, it, what racism used to mean is that if there's any law, any regulation, any uh, system that gives one person favor over another due to their ethnicity that's wrong right and so we're going to outlaw that and that was outlawed in 1964 the civil rights act and what's really interesting is it was outlawed because the majority of americans already knew that that was wrong and the majority of americans were not practicing that but it was designed because there were some states in the south right that weren't doing that okay so the entire country was basically saying Hey, if you're going to be a part of America, <laughs> you need to knock it off. And so it passed, you know, and what happened, though, is Stokely Carmichael. He once that was passed in 64, he changed the meaning of racism. And what he said was this, is that when you look at your society, if there's any unequal outcome about anything, that's due to a systemic problem. So that's really taken root in this critical race theory. And that's really the foundation is that you look at anything and if you can identify any unequal disparity, then that's because the system is, you up to fail. Yeah, has, has done that and the system must be torn down. And so uh, because of that, the unspoken premise is that inequality is not due to any individual choice or, you know, like your life, right? Uh, it's due to a system. Therefore, the system must be torn down and a new system put in its place. However, you always must ask your, yourself a question, and that is, what is the new system, right? What is that? It's all about tearing it down, but there's no... Uh... There's no fixing. Yeah. There's no proposed change to it. Yeah. And last third, I don't like this one. Yeah. And I talked about the illustration of G.K. Chesterton. You know, you buy a field and has a building in it and you tear it down. And what you tore down was the irrigation system that gave the land its value. Right. And the thing is, is that um, uh, uh, if we are not aware of the philosophical goal of this thinking, then we will, we could be led down the merry path. And that's why I'm very always cautious to everybody to say, don't jump on bandwagons, you know, take some time to think about it and pray about it and work through it. That it doesn't mean that whatever somebody is talking about doesn't need to be considered. But if they're using, if they're trying to manipulate you by the, your, your emotions instead of God's revelatory truth and your own ability to think through it and discover truth, then that's probably a bandwagon as opposed to a movement of what God actually wants to do. And this is this is really controversial, but uh, I am salty and I want people to think about this. It's been a while since you've been real salty. Super salty. So let's, let's, <laughs> let's do the do the podcast proud. Pastor. Do the do the podcast. Well, about 
Uh, when all this stuff happened, when George Floyd came out, people saw the video of that. And when, you know, it took me a while to see it because, uh, you know, I, I try not to ingest a, a lot of just, you know, news from the, the, any of the main groups, whether they be cable or otherwise, because they do something that, um, I see immediately and is always a turn off to me and it's called framing. Okay. And so if you've been trained in postmodernism, which all journalism schools have, uh, they they try to frame any discussion before they even give you any facts. They always try to frame it. They set it up in a specific yeah. way. And you know, movies do that all the time. All the time. You got to that. That's the whole point of making a movie. I, I want to give this perspective, so I'm going to frame it this way. That this is how the person may have interpreted whatever. Well, the problem with that, from my perspective, is is that uh, since I'm working on a biblical worldview to ingest all things happening out there, uh. I don't want to have to dismantle the framework, right, before I chew on the facts because it just is more work right. for me personally. And so uh, that's why I don't do it that way. So I wasn't really aware of this. But once I saw that video, I was like everybody else. I go, oh, man, that's uh, why would you want to treat anybody that way? You know, um, so I think everybody felt felt the same way. But uh, immediately after that. Uh, a lot of uh, churches in America, you know, wanted to, you know, rush to have a position on it or something like that. And there was a preacher back in June who said this from the pulpit. They were talking about it and said, look, if you are pro-black, right? If you are pro-black, this does not make you anti-white. Okay. If you're pro-black, it doesn't make you anti-white. And so I thought about that a little bit. And on the surface, it sounds really nice, but this denies human nature. And second of all, it is not biblical. It is not a biblical worldview. Uh, case in point, if I say I'm Boise State, right? Which you are. Which I'm pro Boise State. <laughs> I am pro Boise State this football. This is a hypothetical. This, this is not is a yeah, yeah. <laughs> If I were to say I am pro Boise State, but that doesn't mean I'm anti-BYU, what happens when they play each other? You're rooting for Boise State. I'm rooting for Boise State. You're not That's saying, right. Go both teams. I hope you both tie. Yeah. And see, so here's the framework. In critical race theory, we are only part of groups, and each group is constantly playing against each other. So to, by default, when you pick a group, you do so that at the expense of another group. This is not only human nature, this is the framework of critical race theory. If I have four children and I say I am pro firstborn, then by default, I am lesser concerned about the other three. Won't I play favorites for yes. that group? Absolutely. If I say I am pro poor people, you will support policies that support poor people, even if they are unjust towards wealthy people. See, that's how you justify injustice. You know, and this is really important in human nature is that nobody that I have ever met Got, who did really an unjust thing starts the day off saying, I'm going to go out and see how I can treat people eat with evil and be unjust towards them. They always find a reason, right? There's, or there's a framework a, that they can go. I am justified or I have exactly. the ability to do this because it's for the best or it's for the greater good or it's exactly because I believe the ends justifies the, the means. means. Exactly. And that's how we have to operate. If, because it's interesting, God created us to be what? We're logical people. We, we're rational people. So even to do evil, we have to rationalize it. You know, it's really, really crazy. So, 
But um, if if you uh, are pro poor people by default, you're going to choose them and their needs over any other group if you see society as groups of people. And I guarantee you, you will end up resenting rich people. Now, let's take this logic, and I think it's pretty solid, and let's continue to apply it. Feminism said being pro-woman does not make you anti-male. Well, the facts are out, and guess what? It is anti-male. Gloria Steinem said a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Men are irrelevant. And so what has happened is all of the data has come out now and there is a leading uh, feminist. Her name is Christina Hoff Summers, who's researched this over and over and over again. You can read her work. And she basically has said is that what we have done is by being pro-woman, we have become anti-boy. And today in our society, it's boys who are struggling and being held back more than at any other time in our society. So when you see individuals only as part of groups and you pick one group to elevate, you do so the expense, at the expense of every other group. In Acts, the early church faced the same dilemma. In the daily distribution of food in Acts chapter 6, there was a sense that one group, the Hellenistic widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. The native Hebrew widows were getting food, but the Hellenistic or the Greek widows weren't. Yeah. yeah. So what was the solution? Well, this is where deacons came from. But the biblical principle in the, in the end result was uh, treat everybody the same. Appoint people to make sure everybody is treated what? Fairly. You see, so that that's so so. The biblical principle is that whether I intend to or not, if I choose one group over another, I end up overlooking the ones that I am not focusing on. If someone says they are pro-white, would they not be construed as a white supremacist? Well, of course they would. And that's just as sinful and insipid as anything, you know? The, the issue isn't what group do I want to uh, pick, the issue is stop picking groups. Stop putting people in boxes and categories and things like that. Because God is trying to redeem us out of our human penchant to judge one another. And we're and, shoving ourselves back into a box yeah. and picking these teams. We're, we're putting ourselves lower. God's trying to bring us above and say, you know, I've redeemed you. You don't have yeah. to follow this this, this I'm bringing you thing. dignity because yeah. that secular stuff robs you of your individual dignity. And we're going, hey, no, I'm really, you know, into this or I believe in this political party. So I'm just going to dig myself back down into this hole and hide down here. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's really an excellent point, because how do I know that human function, uh, human nature functions that way that we would dig ourselves back into these categories? Because there's a lot of research on it. I mean, there's tons of research on it that shows that that people tend to be this way. You know, uh, uh, 
being patriotic and loving your nation is a great thing. But when you look at uh, European history and the balkanization of ethnic groups and uh, human nature can get overtly nationalistic in, in a negative way, right. you know. And so human nature is that way. The research shows it. But mostly, you know, my my framework is built upon a biblical worldview. And this is exactly what the Jews did in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 12, when God told Abraham, I will bless you, the Jewish people believed God to be saying, hey, God is pro-Jewish. So instead of blessing all the other nations, right, what did they do? They believed God was to bless them over every other nation. See, it's just basic human nature for us. If you really want to study this more, study the Tower of Babel, because the story, in my opinion, of the Tower of Babel is not about where different languages came from. It's about something about human nature and why human beings are this way. So this is what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about this because so many young preachers adopt social positions without ever thinking about their implications of these social uh, positions in comparison to a biblical world view. And so on the surface, it might say, sound good to say, hey, uh, being pro-black doesn't mean you're anti-white, but but James says this isn't biblical. He says, show no favoritism. Show no favoritism. And what that means is he's not saying we deny our differences. He's not saying you be blind to differences, ethnic differences, social differences, uh, intelligence differences, productivity differences. Those things are always going to happen. He's saying quite the contrary. It's in your ability to see those differences that allow you to fulfill his teaching. You see, it works like this. I see those people as poor, so I must intentionally treat them the same as everybody else. I'm not going to subconsciously treat them differently because my human nature and all human beings are this way. We tend to do what? Treat people differently that are not like us. It's just, that's kind of how we are. So the key then becomes this, is by noticing the difference, I intentionally can ensure that I'm treating them the same. If I see a rich person, I am not to show any favoritism. I'm supposed to treat them what? The same. If I see anybody uh, in any type of different ethnicity than me, I need to intentionally choose to treat them the same. And that's why I feel it's so important to not pick one group over another. That's a lot. <laughs> Which I think yeah. is my catchphrase for this episode. <laughs> this episode. I think at, uh, after we're done recording this, I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to it <laughs> okay. just to make sure that I catch all the things. you Because there's a lot of nuance. There's yeah. a lot in what you're saying. And it's a lot of shifting what we've been taught, especially my mm-hmm. generation, yeah. our way of thinking. So it's going to take repetition and really actively thinking about this to to make those changes yeah so i guess what i want to know is if i'm talking to one of my peers Mm -hmm. and uh i start talking about these things that you've brought up yeah about shifting our framework when they hit me back and say oh well that's what boomers say Mm -hmm. or you know you're just not woke or you're you know Whatever the phrase is, I don't think I'm cool enough to be using the word woke, but I mean, (laughs) some of my friends might be. What do I say to them when, when when they respond in this way? Well, I think that when people make arguments, I, I try to, 
to understand the argument. And when people say that stuff, of course, it's not an argument. They're just being manipulative. They're trying to manipulate you. What they're trying to say is that you're talking like people who are not a part of our group. And if you want to be a part of our group, you got to think like us. See, that's what they're kind of saying without saying it, but that's what they mean. And so now you have a choice. Oh, do I want to be accepted or not? So the the first thing you have to do is is understand when a person rejects the foundation of a propositional based on its origin. Oh, that's what boomers say or people who aren't woke enough say. That's called a fallacy of logic. And simply by identifying where something came from, somehow invalidates it, releases you of the responsibility of ever having to work through whether it's true or not. It's like, yeah, I used to do debate and a lot of that was you have to have evidence. You can't just say, well, because so-and-so said it, it doesn't matter. You, exactly. That, that, that doesn't, that's not a, mm-hmm. the judge will go, okay, well, that's not a real argument. You can't <laughs> use that. Yeah. But that's the default argument these days is, well, so-and-so said it, so there's absolutely yeah. no truth. There, that can't be right. And the opposite is true, is, and that is this, is that, well, because you're not this type of person, you don't have an opinion. And that, so, so that, that is really, in my opinion, is, strong, is evil. That's very evil because what it is, is that is, instead of bringing dignity to all human beings, you know what it's doing? It's denigrating all human beings. It's saying that you're incapable of understanding, you're incapable of love, you're incapable of tolerance, you're incapable of acceptance, you're incapable of forgiveness, you're incapable of everything else because you're not exactly 100% like me. It's like I had a professor in college who said the worst thing you could say to another human being is shut up because at that point you were telling them that the words they are saying have no value to you in no matter what they say. And so I I see it similarly. It's similar to that. Yeah. It's used now in value mm-hmm. anything that they can contribute to you or society by saying that. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's going on today because it's a rejection of uh, a biblical worldview for a secular worldview. Before you even think through any social issue, you start with the wrong premise, you know, and when you start with the wrong premise, it always leads to a false conclusion, no matter what. Uh, one of the things that I love about the civil rights movement by led by Martin Luther King in the 60s is that he started with the right premise. You know, and a lot of people are not aware of his premise. His premise was simply this, and that is America says it is a just and equal society. However, you have practices that don't reflect this aspiration. What are you going to do about it? See, so his premise was correct, right? And therefore his solution turned out to be correct. So, and that's what's really, really important. And that's why you should have a biblical worldview is because it helps you understand just your own personal life. And that is no matter how hard I search, no matter how many things I try, if I believe the world's description of who I am as a human being, I will always choose the wrong solution for the healing of my soul, the fulfillment of my soul, the restoration of my soul, the redemption of my soul. But if I start with the right premise, which is God's perspective of me, then I will always find the right answer. And that's why Jesus said it so simply. He said, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Seek and you will find. So when the Bible quotes God as stating he's a God of justice, then I need to understand 
justice from his perspective and not mine. And so our society provides a justice system that gives you the greatest opportunity to get justice out of any other legal system in the world today. If you had to go and find justice, I would pick America's system or does that mean it's perfect? No. And there's a lot of problems with it, but it gives the greatest probability. Why does it give the greatest probability? Because those who designed it struggled through this very issue. And that is not what we think justice is, but what does God think justice is? And they wove that into the initial. And that's where they did something that no other justice system has. And it basically says you're innocent until the state can prove you're guilty. Everywhere else, even in England today, English common law, you're guilty until you can prove your innocence. So it's really quite fascinating in that regard. Well, we have covered a lot today. So I think before you give us any more knowledge and our heads explode, okay. I think we're going to have to tie it off for today. But I'm sure as we're going through this Essential Series, we're going to have a lot more to talk about uh, regarding a lot of these uh, things you've spoken on. So we just really thank you guys so much for joining us. This Sunday, we're starting mm -hmm. Essential. So, yes. Um, all of the salty pastor always leads up to kind of what we're talking about on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So we encourage you guys to tune in, whether it's here um, on YouTube with the online service uh, through a podcast, or if you would like to uh, attend on campus, we are open and you are welcome to join us. Yeah. Um, and there's yeah. plenty of space to social distance. If you need to wear a mask, if you do, or if you don't, it's your choice. You make the best mm -hmm. decision for you and your family. Amen. And I just want to say, please invite Anybody that you can, not only to listen to the Salty Pastor, but to join you for this new series called Essential, because we are going to dig into the very foundations of truth that will change your perspective on your life every single day. And so please, you are the person that is going to reach your friends. You are the person that's going to reach your family members. You are going to be the one that God uses to spread his truth that transforms their lives. So please be the vessel of God, invite a friend and participate. What you're saying is this is an essential series to listen to. <laughs> Very I'm good. Not a, I'm not a dad yet, but my dad jokes are going to be next <laughs> level when it's time. So, Bro, you're essential. Thank you guys so much for joining us and we will see you on Sunday. All right. God bless you.